thank you for joining us once again. Uh, that's me, Judy Curtis, our good friend Connie Nagel, and of course the lovely David Curtis. And we're <laughs> gathered around the microphone today to talk about the fact that there is no direct path to reality, which is sounds very deep to me, so I'm looking forward to hearing what Connie and David have to say about this. Um, this was kind of sprung on me today. I wasn't expecting to be doing a podcast, so I, I'm not really prepared because as we all know, uh, I usually have my script well in advance. I mean, if you think this casual repartee is just straight off the top of the head, of course you're wrong. This is carefully rehearsed as I'm sure you've noticed. So I'm just going to jump in with this quote from uh, Eugene Boudin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, that says, everything that is painted directly and on the spot has always a strength, a power, a vivacity of touch which one cannot recover in the studio. Three strokes of a brush in front of nature are worth more than two days of work at the easel. And so that's my um, contribution, my intellectual contribution for the day. Now I'm going to sit back and listen to uh, David and Connie as they discuss uh, how to find uh, the way to reality if there is no direct path. I mean, this sounds very deep and I'm looking forward to where it's coming from. David, would you like to kick it off? Uh, yes, I, th I think your quote's very good because I think that uh, gives us a direction for reality back to nature. And uh, I, I love painting landscapes. Uh, and the season sort of uh, painting landscapes for me, I, I don't have the fortitude as much anymore to paint the winter scenes. Um, is coming to a little bit of a close, so I'll have to go in the studio and paint in the studio, which is, Boudin said, is not as powerful as something sitting in front of nature. But I'll still be painting from nature. I'll have uh, figures posing in the studio. And I could open the windows and you could look outdoors onto the garden if you like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that helps. As long as the, snow, the blizzard doesn't get in the window. <laughs> um, but it's one of the things that we do during the summer was uh, Connie would call and talk about uh, one of the latest books she, she's read. And this one particular call she gave me was, uh, and she asked me if I knew this painter by the name of Alexander Cousins. And it sounded familiar, but I couldn't have been sure. Anyway, we talked a little bit and she t told me about it. So I had to look him up and, and I was bowled over by what he was, who he was. And at the time he was he was teaching, he wrote a great book. But Connie, Connie really, See, understands the psychology and the art put together in this. And I think that's our, we're, we're talking about journey to reality. Connie? Okay. So, um, so we, we were talking about the, you know, that there's no direct path to reality. And actually, Cousins said this in 1785 in his book called The New Method of Landscape Painting. And, um, and it's, pretty interesting that it was written in 1785 and here we are in the 21st century 2019 and uh, we would indeed call it a new method I think mm -hmm. I think all of us would concur that that this is pretty intriguing what he suggested was that you could take a sort of dark wash and put it uh, on the canvas and then pull out the landscape as it as it comes forward uh, and as you're painting on site. And uh, he suggested this 
because he said that it was better than using formulas to create trees, clouds, mountains, rocks. He thought that when you created something like that from some formulaic method, that it became stiff and unnatural. And uh, through this, this blot method, this, uh, this ambiguous um, wash, you could, you could feel or uh, the, almost the, the sense of, of a landscape in front of you, you know, and um, that, that got reproduced on the canvas. So, um, so that's one aspect of it. Uh, David, you might uh, suggest well, too about Baldini. Brought, one thing, you know? well, Baldini, but to get back to Cousins, you yeah. also felt that there was a close relationship to something that was dear to your heart, uh, which the Rorschach right. test. Well, what happened is that a hundred years later, uh, this was written about uh, Cousins, is that uh, Herman Rorschach, who was a psychologist, who uh, lived in Switzerland, who uh, was working on psychological aspects of how do you, how do you test people with emotional difficulties. Uh, and he came up with this idea, and it was through Cousins' blot method that he came up with the Rorschach inkblot test. And that is an ambiguous, what he has is, is 10 inkblots, which have since been standardized and and probably tested to the nth degree, but um, but initially and and even upon first um, viewing of them, they are ambiguous to each and every one of us. But we see things in them; they stimulate the imagination, and in turn, what that does is psychologically. Uh, whenever we see something out there, you might you might even see, um, let's say, a, a, you know, like wallpaper that sort of has dots and dashes on it. You know, doesn't make much sense, but sure enough, if you stare at it long enough, you might see a couple of you know little happy faces in it, or a sourpuss, or uh, yeah, birds in flight, or something like that, and that is that that we tend to project uh, whatever is in our minds. So so the projection is usually a preoccupation or a concern that the individual has. And psychologically, it helps a psychologist know how to diagnose this person. I think this is fascinating because I, I was raised uh, with a teacher by the name of Arai Chais Gamble, and he sort of taught the Boston method or the Boston school method of teaching. And one of the phrases they always used was, pull it out of the fog, pull it out of the mist. In other words, you put down not the hard edge drawing of what you see in front of you. Let's say it's a tree with a building behind it. You don't draw it all out. You put it in sort of tonal mist. And as you develop it, it slowly comes into focus. And I see the analogy quickly. I saw the analogy to what Cousins was doing. Mm -hmm. And didn't you say Constable studied with yes. Cousins, one of our, our greatest landscape painters? Actually, Constable used Cousins' new method of landscape painting to develop his clouds. And he was, he was ultimately considered the master of skies. 
really. And, um, and he had fabulous skies, fabulous cloud formations that were very natural, very real. And um, so getting back to what we're calling this podcast, There's No Direct Path to Reality, is that there are ways, avenues that we can move toward this, this natural scene through these kinds of um, ambiguous formations, let's say. And so out of the mist, out of, yeah. almost like you would put down, if you really just looked in nature and saw it, and, and I'm looking out the window right now and just seeing a mass of trees and leaves and things like that. And to make reality out of it, I can tell that's what my, sort of my, part of my brain's doing, is saying, oh, that's a leaf, David. Oh, that's a limb, David. Oh, yeah. that's a tree. But sometimes I look at things and I can't figure out what it is right off the bat. So I should be painting that first, shouldn't I? That, Absolutely. That, and, and that's what you meant by looking yeah. for, yeah. Yeah, and also it reminds me too, uh, as I've been painting over the past you know, years, that um, when I see something in my painting and I say, wow, that just doesn't, that just looks too, uh, too hard-edged. And I soften that edge. Let's say it's even um, the side of a building or something. It usually helps the painting. I've noticed that if I soften edges, you know, wherever they may be, even if it is something that would be a structural edge, it usually helps my painting and improves it. And I think the essence of a real good painting would... And I don't think we'd even pay attention to whether it's a hard or soft edge, but it just feels natural. It feels like it's enveloped in, or I think William Paxson says, swimming in air. As if we can get that feeling of swimming in air, and I think that's giving more the feeling. Um, I can remember thinking I was a start student going into Boston. I was on a subway car, and as you go in the tunnels, it's lights flashing, and there happened to be a broken glass window. And I was looking at the, the glass, the shattered glass, and looking at it as the light was going past it, and how many variable uh, images that, that same shattered glass, the same pattern, but with different colored lights and all these in different speeds, all created wow. different impressions in my mind. And, I mean, that was many years ago. And uh, but I'll always remember that that was what I thought was abstract, mm. you know, was that the, the unrecognizable something that's been shattered, something that's been destroyed. So what we're suggesting is maybe you should start with the shattered look and then come out of the, the, right. the reality. The reality comes out of it very slowly. Um, and one of the painters I, I think of that very similar to this when you mentioned Cousins is um, uh, Giovanni Baldini, um, a great master. John C. Sargent emulated him. And, uh, and uh, uh, he, he would do these, uh, if you look at his work, it's very interesting how he begins. And he's a master portrait artist, figure painter. Um, he, would, he would begin with a very strong abstract, very dark, purpley and red, strong color contrast, and lines going in every different direction. And then slowly that figure would come out of it. And, and I think it's because it suggested, as you're saying, 
many different ideas as to what, what that figures around. It's one thing just to put a cutout figure and then say, now I'll put the window behind them, now I'll put the door behind, whatever it is. But in this way, he found the design that was natural with how he did it. And I'm wondering too if uh, reality isn't an, an interaction between the observer and the observed. So what happens is that we are, um, if you don't allow the observer, the viewer, a chance to make some, um, some sense out of it, work at trying to figure out what is there, that, that in turn they don't feel, it's almost like it's, um, it's too prefab, it's too fabricated. And, and the more we can create this lost and found, um, the uh, hard and soft edge, the light and dark, the, uh, these sorts of things, the more we're um, almost dancing with the observer. Right. The, inviting the music to play. Yeah. Um, a good example of this is we had a, a, Connie and I, Sight and Insight, taught a class last week um, for students. And uh, the location we went to was, was rough. It had a lot of strong winds and fog. So we moved the location to uh, an inner harbor scene at Gloucester. And um, there were so many boats there, you couldn't tell where one boat began and one boat ended. That's so true. So I looked at them and gave, Connie talked a little bit about Alexander Cousins and how he would, he would have seen this as sort of, a, sort of a, an inkblot, as you said, uh, just a design of shapes and colors and to paint it quickly that way. And um, they all, I was, I was very pleased that they all made that attempt to do it. I was To pull too. the reality yeah. out of the, um, the true illusion that they saw. Not, not to say, oh, there's going to be a boat here. Oh, and there's going to be a building here. But to just see the whole, mm. see the unity, the wholeness first, put that down, and then slowly develop their paint. And they all had wonderful designs. They That's did. what I noticed. They did. Also, their color notes were really stronger and uh, more harmonious throughout the composition as opposed to what they might have done if they were really, you know, trying to get that little boat over there and trying to make it literal. I think that's the important point is that it's not literal, that we're not trying to render what's out there, even if we're plain air a la prima painting. We're not trying to paint literally what we have out there, but we're trying to bring it into focus and also create the ethos around it, the, right. the, the natural energy that might be in the, in the painting or in the scene. Yeah. Well, I, that's really interesting. I confess I've never heard of, or I hadn't heard of Alexander Cousins till you started talking about him this summer. So of course I had to uh, I had to go and look him up just to see who this person is and why he's so special, um, and I found some wonderful paintings that he did, uh, and of course what I didn't realize although he was born uh, in uh, in Russia possibly Saint Petersburg although it has been yes. proposed he was born in uh, Kazan um, in uh, the Republic of Tatarstan if I'm pronouncing that okay. Uh, his father was a British master shipbuilder who'd been uh, brought to uh, to Russia to help build 
Peter the Great's Imperial Navy. So if this guy's got British roots, it just goes to show he must be a wonderful artist. Um, <laughs> and his son, I believe his son was a Yes, his son was a, an artist as well. So Cousins, uh, which is spelled C-O-Z-E-N-S as well, if anybody's looking and can't find him under C-O-U, uh, which is what happened to me. Um, so Cousins was schooled in London as early as 1727. Uh, they've just celebrated his... The, the tercentenary of cousin's birth in 1717. I mean, that's incredible that artists can still learn from uh, mm. masters of the past. There's so much, you know, this is why art history is important as well, because there's some artists out there who totally perhaps agree. don't have the same high profile as the, the Leonardo's, the Michelangelo's, Vermeer, Velasquez. And mm. so it's really interesting to to search out some of these older painters and, and find some amazing mm -hmm. artwork out there. And so in looking at some of these uh, paintings that, um, that Cousins did, he was excellent. He could do watercolor, he could do oils. Um, and they, uh, just seeing, as you say, how he perhaps put this wash in and then brought out not just landscapes, as sometimes he was doing these, uh, these paintings where he would just Put this wash on and then suddenly it would by by putting darker notes over it suddenly you'd have a couple of tigers on the page and right. things like that <laughs> interesting, um, right? yes uh, so the, the, it's really amazing so i'm, I'm going to try and put uh, a couple of these images up on on the website so so you can see but i would encourage you to to have a closer look for yourself because um you know hearing david and connie talking about this you realize you can learn so much from from some of these painters and just seeing how they have created uh, different things. And as you say, pulling things out of the fog is kind mm -hmm. of an interesting way of, of doing it, or just taking a wash and then trying to see what you can create from it. It almost creates it itself. Yes. You know, as every painter wants to be the conductor of his own orchestra, you also want to be a partic uh, uh, not only a participant, but a listener to mm. the music too. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what a good painter is doing. He's he's uh, watching the painting be created in front of him, as well as being a participant in creating it. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci um, would talk about looking at marble and seeing angels flying in clouds with looking at marble. Um, and we've talked about I think hallucinations as yeah. part of a part of a means that is part of, part of the, the creative, creative process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't Charlton Heston say the same thing in that movie about Michelangelo and the Pope's ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> so if Charlton Heston said it, it's going to be true, right? <laughs> well, I, I, do, I do think it's this business and uh, um, of, of inviting the imagination to take part in what you're creating. So, mm -hmm. so painting isn't so much a chore of delineating exactly what you see in front of you but it's much more of a of a, a wonderful journey you know um and and where is the reality what is the reality and that's we always want to leave that to be mysterious right the other thing i would say is that in nature uh nature is creative in fact all of nature in uh whatever we even we, we say about it, it's, it's always becoming. It's always becoming something new, something new is always happening, something's dying, something's afresh. And I think that when you work with 
these these gestures that in turn that's much more of what it's mimicking nature's uh, ways let's say as opposed to trying to um, trying to illustrate what you see out there yeah well can you believe it we've come to the end of our little soiree already I well David is looking like he's ready to go on for another 20 minutes on this subject but maybe that well, the last thing the I just want to add was uh, one of my students came this is just after <laughs> Connie had told me about cousins and I looked them up and so I tested them I showed him one of his um, one of his watercolor washes and I said um, who who did this painting he thought it was either Chinese or Japanese definitely from the Far East I said no and I said he says then he guessed it was Arthur Dow I was showing him which I thought was interesting that that's what he got out of it and when I told him it's a um, you know, it's a, um, um, what, 18th century? Yeah, 18th century. Um, 18th century painter uh, in England who taught lands, who taught drawing mm -hmm. yeah. at the Royal Academy. I think, and yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was, uh, it spoke for itself as obviously this is, this is a great way of understanding or beginning a painting. Yeah, right. That's what I would say. It's a beginning. It's a beautiful way to begin a painting outdoors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this sounds like there's a, a lot of material here that you can expand on at some point, maybe uh, at a, another exciting episode or even a workshop. I know you're doing uh, pop-up impromptu workshops you have coming right. up. Uh, is it next we week? We have two, two coming okay. up. Shit, we have yeah. values next week. Okay. On October tenth, October tenth, and then a note. and then we also have um, uh, intensity coloring intensity on the seventeenth of okay. October, Dates and that will be remember. a late light. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. Those late. And we're hoping it's the same shows. night that the moon rises, so we can get both the sunset <laughs> and the moon. Rise. I can see that you you work these workshops out to the nth degree. None Five, of this just yeah. well, it's impromptu. I realize that, but. Uh, it's it's good. That it's calculated. <laughs> it's calculated. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Beautifully phrased. As long as it's not overcast. <laughs> yes. Well, fingers crossed that it will be beautiful weather. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, it's uh, one of those things where I learn a lot from uh, from listening to our two experts talking, and I hope you learn something too whilst enjoying the uh, the casual repartee so again thank you for joining us and hope you uh, you're back next time